Welcome to Pasadena. Welcome to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, we are here to hear uh, the case of Fellowship of Christian Athletes versus San Jose United School District Board of Education. Before we begin, let me just check with uh, Judge Sun. She's appearing by video. Judge Sun, can you hear me? Good morning. I see you shaking us. Okay, thank you, thank you. So if the parties are ready to proceed, you may come forward. Thank you, Chief Judge McGee, and may it please the court, Daniel Blomberg for appellants. I'd like to reserve three minutes for rebuttal. Unlike schools nationwide, the school district here insists that FCA clubs can never have equal access to its campuses for one reason because FCA clubs require their leaders to agree with their faith. The panel rightly rejected this position under the Free Exercise Clause and the Equal Access Act. The district flunks free exercise analysis because it is imposing a double standard. It claims barring FCA is necessary to prevent, quote, discrimination and exclusion, end quote. But the district has long allowed a multitude of its programs, sports teams, and recognized clubs to discriminate and exclude. It would even allow a white nationalist club to do so. That double standard is unconstitutional. In the district also fails under the Equal Access Act, preventing a religious group from having religious leaders inherently regulates the religious content of their speech. And that's just what the EAA says they cannot do. In response, the district and its amici cite to this court's decisions in Alpha Delta Chi and Truth 90 times to support the claim that the district's unequal treatment of FCA is permissible because it was not motivated by animus. That claim is factually wrong, as the opinion by Judge Lee makes clear. It is also wrong in the law, as this court should make clear. As Professor McConnell explained in his brief, recent precedent like Tandon, Fulton, and Town of Gilbert show that even truly benign motives cannot justify marginalizing a religious group for the offense of having religious leaders. Turning first to the free exercise clause, this court begins its analysis with the question of what the government's stated interest is in burdening the religious belief of the plaintiff. And here, the, the asserted government interest is in preventing discrimination and exclusion. That's from the answering brief for page 10. Do you think there's any meaningful difference here between the free exercise clause and that analysis, the speech analysis, and the statutory claim? There are differences, Your Honor. The, the difference with free exercise analysis requires starting with a articulation of the government's interest and then comparing that to any secular comparators who receive favorable treatment. The uh, speech analysis requires doing forum analysis and starting through that process. And then the EAA analysis actually doesn't require doing either of those steps. And it just asks whether there is content regulation going on. And so content regulation is shown on the, the text of the, the rule that's at issue here and the specific application of the rule. Right, but if there's viewpoint discrimination, that cuts across all three of those. That's correct, Your Honor. If this court finds viewpoint discrimination, then all three of those standards would be satisfied. Doesn't the Martinez case address the content issue and whether or not it uh, violates the First Amendment? I know you've got different statutes and different, uh, if you will, approaches, causes of action that you're looking at, but Justice Ginsburg's opinion seems to make clear that at least as to that part of the case, uh, you don't have a lot of traction. What's your, what's your 
response to that, a few responses on that first. First of all, Your Honor, Martinez is very helpful in making clear that when it comes to religious leadership, who you select is itself an expressive choice. So leadership is expressive. Um, but the Martinez case is only about viewpoint discrimination and only about viewpoint discrimination in what, what Judge uh, Justice Ginsburg said was the novel context of a all-commerce policy. This court does not have an all-commerce policy before it. It has a non-discrimination policy. So it's different from Martinez in, in a substantial way. And the stipulated all-commerce policy was very different in that context. So you believe it's distinguishable? Yes, Your Honor. It is distinguishable. What is the relationship between the discrimination policy and the all-commerce policy? In this case, Your Honor. So the, the, all, the non-discrimination policy is the foundational policy. It's the only governing policy, uh, as the record reflects in this case. And that's Board Policy 410 and 53, uh, 5143.5, or sorry, 5145.3. And that requires that that cuts across all district programs and activities, and it applies to the, the ASB uh, student groups as well. And then the district has articulated that the it has it applies that policy in the ASB context as a, a requiring a an all-comers uh, requirement. However, they also have language that states that student groups are allowed to impose any non-discriminatory criteria. The testimony in the case says that that's basically anything but what's in the non-discrimination policy. So you immediately come right back to a non-discrimination policy. So this case is not a Martinez case. It's much closer to Alpha Delta Chi, where you were deal just dealing with a non-discrimination policy. But Another question about Martinez. In Martinez, um, Justice Ginsburg held open the question about pretext and said uh, that wasn't before us, and Ninth Circuit can look at it. But Justice Alito, in his dissent, um, provides factors that would show pretext. Is there an element, of, in your view, of um, uh, that the district uh, enforcement of the non-discrimination policy or adoption of the all-comers policy was pretextual for viewpoint discrimination? Absolutely, Your Honor. So the application of the policy has been pretextual, and that's a selective enforcement rationale that the, the panel correctly found. The, 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 uh, the school admits that it adopted the all-comers language, the all-comers label, um, in response to FCA. So the whole reason why they, they started uh, using that label was in response to FCA. So in terms both of the, the intent behind it and the application of it, there's certainly a selective enforcement problem. Uh, to your, your question, just argument that, that this is pretextual? No, Your Honor. Okay, no, Your best Honor. argument that what the school district did here is pretextual? Well, the, the best argument on, on pretext, Your Honor? Yes, on pretext. Uh, on the selective enforcement aspect that the panel found, Your Honor. So the Senior Women Club, the South Asian Heritage Club, the Big Sisters Little Sisters Club, um, Big Sisters Little Sisters Club was approved by the same school officials that disapproved FCA, and they approved it precisely because it limited leadership and membership to females. Their, their argument uh, is that those distinctions uh, do not discriminate under the terms of the school policy and state law. What's your response to that? Uh, no, I, th I understand their argument to be that they were accidental, right? So that accidental. Uh, correct, Your Honor. That's my understanding of what their position is on senior women and big sisters, little sisters. That's obviously not the case. That's what. 
Judge Judge Lee and Judge Forrest correctly found at the panel stage. But the district court didn't find that, and aren't we supposed to give great deference to the district court in those kind of facts? No, Your Honor, because the issue wasn't the factual question. Everyone agrees on what the facts show. It's the legal significance of the facts. That's what's at issue, and this court has a responsibility to review those. It also has a responsibility under Bose to review even constitutional facts de novo. So that's the Thunderbolt case that this court recently decided, and also the Green case that addresses that particular issue. There was a high level of more than I've seen in other cases of vitriol towards the students and their viewpoints. How do you, the fact that it was more than in some cases, what significance is that to your argument? It makes it an easier case, Your Honor. It makes it a very straightforward case, and I think Judge Lee's concurrence in the panel opinion lays it out very clearly. I mean, on the merits, is that what you would say? If you get, you know, you get to the merits, and then you say, well, they're going to win because the facts are so. I think, Your Honor, I've litigated a lot of these cases. I've never seen a case with this kind of animus towards a group of children that want to run a religious student club. And so it does make this case much more straightforward than many of the other cases that we've litigated. But you don't have to find animus in order to rule for FCA. In fact, I don't think you need to. Since you're talking about animus, may I ask you about the Masterpiece Cake case? That's one of the things that was alleged. The Supreme Court, in that case, dealt with an adjudicatory body. Our Tingley case makes that very important. In your judgment, who, what was the adjudicatory body in the school district that made the decisions here that brings it within the Masterpiece Cake ambit? So the record's clear that the government official who made the decision here was Principal Espiritu. Their initial derecognition decision and subsequent derecognition decisions. And he was on the board, the climate committee, that met together and within two days had derecognized Pioneer FCA after being on campus for many, many years. So, forgive me, I don't mean to interrupt you, but so you think Espiritu is the equivalent of the adjudicatory body in Colorado in the Masterpiece Cake case, right? Not him alone, Your Honor. The climate committee was also leadership of the school that was informing his decision-making process. And he said that's what happened. He did, Your Honor. He said that to the school's newspaper. He announced it to the entire school that we have, as a body, the climate committee and the district looked at Pioneer FCA. We decided that they are a discriminatory group and we don't want to be associated with them, so they're kicked out. That's what he said. I know Mr. Glazer, among others, made some very disparaging comments. What I'm concerned about is if you can just kind of cherry-pick comments by a teacher. I think there are like 1,500 teachers in the school or something like that. If you have five or six that make disparaging comments, it kind of makes it tough to run an operation. You've got to have somebody that's really responsible, but you get down to Espiritu. He's your guy, right? If he's not, if he hasn't expressed animus at the level of Masterpiece Cake, then that cause of action fails. Is that correct? No, Your Honor. And there's a couple different reasons why. So Principal Espiritu was directly involved with the decision-making process, and he was lobbied by Mr. Glasser to derecognize the club in the kinds of terms that you were talking about, and he did it immediately. I mean, one of the things that's really remarkable in this case is the school district had never derecognized a student group for any 
reason related to its non-discrimination policy until FCA, and they de-recognized FCA in 10 days. Very unusual. Very unusual. They continue to do that. Answering Judge Smith's question, uh, are we allowed to look at the comments of uh, Ms. Ms. Bauman, who is on the Climate Committee, who described um, evangelicals like the FCA as charlatans? Correct, Your Honor. Those were all a part of the team that, that influenced the decision, that were involved in the decision, and continued to protest FCA and support students in protesting FCA in the months and years to come. The other thing, Your Honor, though, is that Mr. Glasser told his supervisor, Principal Esperitu, that he was professionally and morally bound to continue to do the exact same things he'd done before, and Mr. Esperitu said that he never corrected him on that. And in fact, the parents of the FCA children filed a request for an investigation for the harassment their children suffered, and the school district refused to perform the investigation. They, they actually fought with the, or persuaded the California Department of Education not to itself perform the investigation, to allow the school district to perform the investigation, and discovery revealed that they never, in fact, did perform that investigation. So the school district has never told its teachers that what they did to FCA was wrong, and they have teachers telling them that they are morally and professionally bound to do it again. Counselor, what, what are we to do with the fact that the, the thing that is keeping this organization from being recognized today is the, the policy that was later adopted by the school district, and there's there's no evidence that Glasser uh, or Bowman made that decision, is there? No, Your Honor, it's, it's one continuous policy. So one of these questions at that oral argument in August was, what are we dealing with here? And the policy, they, uh, my friend on the other side said, this is a continuation of the past practice. They're just doing formalizing what they've already done before. And so FCA has de-recognized, and that same policy and practice has been enforced throughout. And so what, what would the district have to do if it, if going forward, if it wanted to have an all-comers policy of the sort that Martinez says is okay? Like, it, what do they need to do to purge the taint of the earlier comments? I think they'll have a very hard time purging the taint of uh, the earlier comments and how they've treated FCA up until through this past semester when they shut down the entire forum to prevent the FCA from being able to meet uh, in concert with other student groups on campus. But, Your Honor, this, the other issue for them, is, regardless of the neutrality question, is that they have a very significant general applicability problem that they're not going to be able to solve. Their own programs discriminate against students on the base of sorry. Sorry, Judge Song, did you ask a question? Okay, I apologize. Um, their own programs and policies, the Latino Male Mentorship Group, discriminate against students on the basis of their ethnicity and sex. This district can't say that it has a compelling interest in kicking off FCA for asking a handful of students to agree with its religious beliefs so they can lead its prayers, when at the same time they have programs of that nature that are under the exact same non-discrimination policy that are imposing on FCA. The same is true for the ASB-approved sports teams. These sports teams are all under the ASB umbrella alongside FCA, and those those groups are allowed to discriminate based on sex. So, Council, is that, so that sounds like a tandem argument, right? That, right? So even if, you know, Council said that some of the selective enforcement was accidental, even if that's true, your argument that's still unconstitutional under tandem because of the other groups have... Uh, beliefs and status requirements. That's exactly correct, Your Honor. There are actually six different categories of ways the school is not enforcing its policy in a generally applicable manner. So the first two are the ones we just talked about. They're the, the multitude, the record says multitude of district programs that allow discrimination. That's the, 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 their response is that even if the Latino group says it's a Latino group, it is open to everyone. So which are, you know, even the, despite the fact that they call it a Latino group. That's, that's not what the record shows, though, Your Honor. The record shows at 9 ER 1816, that is for male Latinos, 
Uh, that was Principal Esperitu, again, the same Principal Esperitu that de-recognized FCA and kept them off campus. Was that on one of those forums, those application forums? Or uh, no, Your Honor, that was a, a public announcement he gave to the school as he was lauding the the male Latino mentorship group, which is, you know, great. It's a great thing to do, right? There's not, SEA's concern isn't with programs like that. The concern is that the school district is singling out FCA and saying, we are, you can't have religious leaders lead your prayers, but we can have Latino male mentorship groups. You're on also the, the girls' circle and boys' circle groups that the school runs. They're pretty obviously for girls and boys. It's what they say, and it's what the record shows at SCR 418. What about like the National Honor Society, where they ask that you have good moral characters, things of that nature? You don't even have to get to that far, right? That's correct, Your Honor. That's the next couple buckets down. So the other ones are the the non-discriminatory criteria. That would be one of them. So the Interact Club says you have to have good moral character. So and this is this is a good news club problem, right? In Good News Club, it was okay to have a secular view as a moral character. It wasn't okay to have religious views of good moral character. That's viewpoint discrimination. That's a, that's a problem right there. The purpose and benefits, this is where the White Nationalist Club comes in. The, the, the school district admitted to Judge Lee at oral argument in August that they will allow white nationalist groups in. And they can discriminate, not in their membership and leadership, but in their purpose and benefits. So the purpose of the organization can be only to support uh, white nationalists, and the benefits of the organization can be only to support white nationalists. And that, Your Honor, is at the oral argument at 3124, also at SCR 417 and ER 133 that talks through those issues, SCR 703 as well. Finally, Your Honor, the last bucket, the last issue that kind of comes up that shows a really severe general applicability problem here is the voting loophole. So the district says FCA is not allowed to ask its leaders ahead of time to affirm that it, will, that it actually believes its faith before it leads the group in prayer and religious observances. But they say any group on the back end can vote for whoever they want on whatever criteria they want. And so that means the white nationalist group can exclude anyone who is not a white nationalist when they do their voting. Right? And that's a, that's a, it completely undermines the government's stated interest in the non-discrimination policy if you're allowed to do that. And this actually goes to one of the concerns raised in the panel opinion at page 38, note 7, where it talks about how popular groups can sign the form but then vote how they want and unpopular groups can't. Because this is the other thing that the district admitted, that uh, this is at 9 ER 1761-62. If a student chooses to complain, uh, file a complaint, then we're right back where we started. We're right back where we started under the non-discrimination policy. So if you have a popular group, like say the senior women that has been a tradition at Leland for many, many years, then it won't ever be a problem. Things can just rock along. But if you have a group like FCA, which is unpopular, then you'll get a complaint filed against you and you'll have to be exactly back where we started. So here are six different ways. This is obviously a very severe general applicability problem for the school. That the district officials were the decision makers. It seems like there was a lot of evidence that showed that the principals looked to the district uh, officials for guidance on whether this uh, policy was discriminatory. So, Your Honor, the um, the district's liaison to Pioneer High School was um, Assistant Superintendent McMahon. He testified over and over again that he was not the decision maker, that he did not tell Principal Asperity what to do. Principal Asperity made the decision. And so the, the record evidence here is very clear that Principal Asperity was a decision maker and he had the final say. And that'd be consistent with how the policy operates as well. And so based on what you've argued so far, I guess my question is, is it your position uh, that the district can never um, implement an all-commerce policy? 
not in the context of a secondary high school. And that's what Judge Gilliam said in oral argument last May. It's like looking at how, you know, it's one thing to have a law school, an unusual environment like a law school that was an issue in Martinez and a stipulated record. It's a very different thing to have a high school. And this is what the Second Circuit talked about in the Sioux case as well. So, listen, kids are facing discrimination and exclusion every day, all day, in a high school context. And so trying to claim that there's an all-comers policy just doesn't fit the facts on the ground so, so in this context. So FCA must be um, an ASB-recognized group forever going forward? It can't be. And is that the injunction you're seeking? It, it can't be denied on the basis of its religious leadership requirements, Your Honor. That's, that's the issue. The narrow issue is FCA can't be excluded from recognition because of its religious leadership requirements. Assuming, and this is hypothetical, because obviously, you know, we, we haven't conference, we don't know what people think, but assuming hypothetically that you were to prevail, is there Ninth Circuit precedent that you feel has been wrongly decided in its intention with what you're asking this court to do? The court doesn't have to rule, overrule any prior precedent, but the court should clear up that the, the law in Alpha Delta Chi misstated the current state of the law. So Alpha Delta Chi said that even though a religious group was barred from asking its leaders to be religious, that was okay when political groups were allowed to ask their political leaders to be political and ideological groups were asked, allowed to ask their uh, ideological groups to be ideological. You know, the, 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 the Alpha Delta Chi court said that's a compelling argument. It's a compelling problem the plaintiffs provide, show us here. But because there's no evidence that there was bad intent, bias, or animus that motivated the adoption of this policy, it's okay. We go to strict scrutiny. And no, we don't go to strict scrutiny. That's not the law. That's not the law under Tandon. That's not the law under Fulton. It's not the law under Town of Gilbert. So at the time, it may have been an accurate statement of law. It is no longer an accurate statement of law as it stands today. Why shouldn't we overrule that? Well, I, I think, Your Honor, if you, if you, you know, the district's argument is that you have to address Alpha Delta Chi. That's their primary merits argument in their en banc petition. And so if the court addresses Alpha Delta Chi, it should state that Alpha Delta Chi is no longer consistent with the law. Um, the fact that the suit was before Martinez, does that affect your argument about the all-commerce policy? No, Your Honor. So, and this is a very important point to Judge Smith's earlier question. Martinez was a First Amendment case. It was not an EAA case. Sue is an EAA case. Truth is an EAA case. Martinez is not. Martinez requires a showing of viewpoint discrimination in order to get relief. The EAA does not require that. The EAA only requires a showing of content discrimination, content regulation. And it's very easy to see content regulation when it comes to preventing a religious student group from having religious leaders. That's exactly what the Sioux Court found. And their, their holding in that was precisely because of the nature of religious leadership, that there's, there's inherently expressive. And that holding has only gotten stronger over time, as we've seen cases like Hosanna Tabor and Our Lady and the InterVarsity case called Conlin out of the Sixth Circuit, all dealing with the inherently expressive component of religious leadership. And so Sue was correct when it was decided it's only gotten stronger since then. So bottom, so bottom line, from your perspective, the Supreme Court's recent case law has shown that the law that our circuit used to rely upon generally is just not applicable here. Things have changed. You're saying we have to get in step with the Supreme Court. Uh, they tell us we have to let them 
lead us, not the other way around. Do you think they have done that with Tandon and the other cases you mentioned? That's correct, Your Honor. That's correct, Your Honor. And Tandon, Tandon itself was a reversal of decisions in this court. Also, and I think it, What about truth? Uh, truth, Your Honor. So Alpha Delta Chi relies on truth to get to its holding about um, animus. And so, and so that, was, that was wrong. Truth so is if we agree with your selective enforcement claim, does the en banc court need to revisit truth? No. The, the panel was correct in its, its application of uh, the selective enforcement claim. I think one of the reasons, though, that the, that the issues here go much broader than just selective enforcement. You know, if we go back down and the district says, okay, fine, no more senior women, we're going to wipe out all senior women clubs, which would be really unfortunate, right? They've existed for a long time. We're still going to have the exact same problems like we've had, what we have under the district's um, preference for its girls' clubs and boys' clubs, you know, the girls' circle and boys' circle and things of that nature, the, uh, the sports teams. And so this court needs to address this in a way so that we're not back here on another emergency, seeking emergency relief here in the future. Um, Your Honor, I think the, the key here to... Just to make sure I understand what you're saying, I think you're basically saying, practically speaking, it's just not going to be possible to purge the student environment of these other groups unless you want to just outlaw all groups. I think that's correct, Your Honor. There's a reason why Martinez was decided on a stipulated record, because in, in the real world, having litigated a lot of these cases, there are no all-comers policies, because they're so detrimental to the, the functioning of groups. Um, and they're certainly detrimental to the functioning of religious groups. And so, you know, you just... But practically speaking, using following the standard that's laid out in Tandon and Fulton, the very first step is what's the interest here? The interest is non-discrimination and exclusion. And the question is, what does the district do that allows non-discrimination and exclusion? Are there any secular exemptions? And they're everywhere. They're just everywhere, all over the record, and they're they're not they're irreversible. And so I think that's why if you look at Judge Gilliam's opinion, he doesn't say the words all comers policy once. Not once because you recognize that they just don't exist in this kind of environment. Not a sincere and real application of how the policy actually operates. Can we take a minute to talk about standing? Certainly, Your Honor. Uh, uh, both the plaintiffs and the defense have submitted these motions for leave to uh, supplement the record with new evidence. Uh, and I'm just questioning whether it's an appellate court, whether we are um, able or, or if we should be sorting through the on the evidence that's been presented and, and considered uh, for this reason. Yeah, so a couple answers on that, Your Honor. If this court has any doubts about standing, then yes, it can review the supplemental materials that we provided. Um, we don't think it has to. We think the panel got it right when it uh, analyzed organizational and associational standing. We think the current record is very clear on standing. Listen, Your Honor, there, there are a lot of these cases out there. The Martinez case, the Walker case, the InterVarsity Iowa case, the Blank case, the Wayne State case, the Truth case, the Alpha Delta Chi case. Not a single one of those cases has said religious student groups don't have standing to challenge a categorical bar on their ability to have religious leadership. None of them have. The district doesn't identify a single time that a court has found a religious student group categorically barred by ha for having religious leaders is unable to even challenge that in court. So it's very clear that this that standing is is the the panel's decision on standing was correct here. And you know I think that the the national FCA uh, component of this is, makes it particularly easy because the, the district doesn't even really challenge it. You only need to find standing for one party. They're, they, the only thing that I understand that my friend on the other side would be saying about the national SCA standing is that there's not evidence of a prospective harm, prospective ongoing diversion of resources. But that's just that's just not true. If you look in the record at 2 FER 370 paragraph 15, 
costs to the organization. That's all you need to know to find standing on in the course of the case. Uh, that being said, there's also, I mean, that no one contests now. Both sides agree that when this court entered the injunction on August 29th of last year, within three days, AC and NM filed their application and sought recognition. And they no longer have the injunction that this court granted them. So they have standing right now, associational standing for the, the student club and national standing for the organization. No court has ever said otherwise. Unless there are any other reserve your rest of your time. Yes, thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Honor. Stacey Layton on behalf of the San Jose Unified School District. We all agree that religious groups must be treated equally to non-religious groups. And we also know that under Martinez, an all-commerce policy is constitutional. The question here is whether the San Jose Unified School District has an all-commerce policy, and if so, whether it enforces that policy equally. And if not, whether it should be required to cease utilizing that policy or if it can be permitted to go forward so long as it enforces that policy equally. It is not true that the San Jose School District has a policy that says, that claims to be all comers, but then says you can have non-discriminatory criteria that is anything that is anything that is uh, does not fall within the protective categories, as, um, as the Plaintiff's Council said. The San Jose School District's policy says just as Martinez said, and that's documented in, in note two of Martinez, that the school district may allow clubs to have non-discriminatory criteria like attendance, like participation, um, and those, payment of dues, those types of criteria. That is what the policy that was in place in fall of 2021, which all parties I think agree is the relevant time period because that's the time period for which they were seeking prospective relief. Um, that that was what the policy allowed, was those types of non-discriminatory criteria. It's used the words of Martinez. It actually even said, this policy shall be interpreted uh, to comply or to, to be the same as the policy that the Supreme Court was ruling on in the Martinez case. Well, uh, aren't we allowed to look at what actually happened? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at uh, 70R-1217 when the school official who enforces the all-comers policy was asked, so for this coming school year, could girls who code limit their membership to students who identify as female? Yes. Could the girls' circle do the same thing? Yes. Do we just ignore that? Uh, Your Honor, I believe you're referring to the deposition of um, Ms. Mayhew, who was the activities director of Pioneer. I don't remember School. the name, but I'm sure you're right. <laughs> yes. Um, that, that deposition actually was taken, that, that was before the district conducted its trainings on the all-comers policy. That was one St school staff member at one oh, school. Steve, that's before they told her what to say. Uh, no, Your she Honor. said it. Your Honor, the, the record shows in 2021, the, the other side has submitted the student club applications. There is one group that has a statement in their constitution or their application that is inconsistent with the school district's all-commerce policy. It's clear that Ms. Mayhew went back and forth in that deposition between saying what school districts could or could not exclude. She gives inconsistent answers, and that was before she was trained in the school district's all-commerce policy, which was a shift, not in substance. It was a shift in the mechanism by which the school district implemented its all-commerce policy. But did, did the school district plainly adopt whatever as a result of the issue that is before us in this very case. Yes, 
Your Honor. It was the controversy over the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which itself had previously been allowed to discriminate by requiring students to sign a student to sign the affirmation because the district was not aware that it was doing so. The district realized that there might be other clubs out there that were discriminating. And so beginning in 2020, during the COVID year, and then fully implemented and, and trained in the fall of 2021, it required all student groups to sign an affirmation stating that they would not discriminate. What do we do? Sounds to me it's kind of like a wink wink deal. You can, as long as you sign the paper, then afterwards you can vote on any discriminatory basis you wish. Uh, what's your response to that? Uh, Your Honor, in Martinez, the Supreme Court recognized that students could still consider the views of, of leaders in deciding whether to elect them. And FCA can ask as part of its elections process, do you agree with the affirmation? How do you feel about same-sex? What cannot be done is a student cannot be categorically excluded from membership or for leadership and told, you may not even apply. You may not run for office. Let's say, this. Let's, let's say that a particular, we'll take this group, say they sign this statement, but before doing so, they tell superintendent or principal, SPD2, we want you to know that as soon as we are legally recognized, our voting will be based upon an adherence to these faith-based uh, items. What would the school district's response be to that? Well, Your Honor, the school district is not going to inquire into what was in students' minds when they voted for particular leaders. But the record does show that if a what student... If say, what if they say that's what they're going to do? Well, if a student... The, paper. the record shows that every club has a faculty advisor. Those faculty advisors have to be present at all student club meetings. And if the faculty advisor sees that the group is discriminating, if, for example, the black student union says everybody's welcome and then a white student comes and they turn them away, the faculty advisor is required, as all school staff are, to report an observed violation of the non-discrimination policy. It's difficult for me to imagine a student group saying uh, what your honor is, is, is positing because each student in the, the these are student-run clubs. But um, it's a hypothetical, okay? It doesn't happen. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> we'd like you to answer the hypothetical. It, okay. it is not a person in the school district. If a, if a student group. That's not what but it's, you're not, it's, That's not what you're being asked. You've been given a hypothetical. If that worked, if that happened, what would your answer be? The record shows that Principal Espiritu and other school district officials have said that students may vote considering whatever they want. They can consider the views of the people. They can consider uh, whatever they want, and the school district is not is not going to investigate, conduct an, an interrogation into whether FCA considered religious beliefs. Because I said in advance, mm -hmm. uh, you've got say three students. They say, you know, we we want we're, we, we want to be part of this. Uh, student organization, we're willing to sign the paperwork. But we want you to know that as soon as this is done and we vote for the leaders, we've got this form here and they have to assert that marriage is just between a man and a woman and all these other faith-based things that are in this record. What does the school district do then? Because we have at least comments of your opposing counsel that it was, I gather, fairly well known that after people are in uh, the umbrella that they can pretty much vote any way they want. Your Honor, a student group would not be permitted to require candidates to sign an affirmation or to, to swear that they would follow an affirmation. Even if, even if they said they would sign the paperwork required to be officially recognized in advance. 
No, Your Honor. The, the record is clear that the school district's policy is even if a student group signs the affirmation, if it turns out that they are actually implementing a discriminatory policy, the faculty advisor and staff would be required to report that, and the district would investigate that violation. Counsel, maybe I have the facts wrong here. Please correct me if I do. But um, on the Senior Women's Club um, form that they signed, didn't they write in on the form, notwithstanding our signing it, we're going to continue to discriminate or do, on the basis of gender, or do I have that wrong? Your Honor, you, 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 those, weren't the, those weren't the words, but what is correct is that there was a blank on the Senior Women's Application form who are your members, and that they said it was female-identified students. It is correct that that should have been viewed as, as a problem under the district's hey, policy. They, in the way you responded to Judge Smith's hypothetical, what would happen if somebody said this, or was the senior women's group then decertified? The, this was called to the this, – this became an issue shortly before the preliminary injunction hearing, which at that point the school year was almost over or close to over. There's nothing in the record about what happened with senior women um, that school year. However, the district has changed its policy, and this is in the supplemental submission that we made, so that there is no longer such a blank. The Fellowship of Christian Athletes complained that there was a blank to fill in. In the fall of 2022, the district has adopted an application process that says you're a member when you sign – the club roster, and you lose your membership rights at the end of the school year, or if you fail to attend a certain number of consecutive meetings. Council, a few minutes ago you said you agreed that for purposes of this preliminary injunction appeal, what matters is the 2021 policy, and I would assume also forms. So why should we even consider whatever happened after that with the policy and the forms? Uh, the policy and the forms would be relevant to the to the remedy going forward, Your Honor. Um, it also, I think, sheds light on whether it was actually intentional that a senior woman was approved despite having filled in the blank with something that was inconsistent with the district's policy. Uh, there's no evidence in the record that this is intentional. In fact, the school district went to great lengths to develop a policy that would be um, on all fours with the policy in Martinez. It trained its staff. Um, Obviously, it's a district with 1,500 teachers. People make mistakes. A mistake was made when senior women was approved. The question is whether the district, by the fact that one staff member made a mistake, should be precluded from applying a policy that the Supreme Court has said is constitutional. Well, Clearly, the issue is, I mean, the policy came later. What came first were all the actions that led to the initial derecognition. Those involve comments by the teachers who are ultimately inputs in the, to the decision that are fairly disparaging of the, of the viewpoint that this group has. And how, how do you address that piece of this case? Because that seems to be a very significant component of it. Your Honor, I have a few responses. My first response is that those events occurred in 2019. 20, uh, in 2019, the students who were at the school in 2019 are, are no longer. Um, they would have graduated by now. But the students who are in this case and the FCA plaintiffs can have damages claims for any harm that took place in 2019 or 2020. So are you saying because the students aren't there anymore, is there evidence of religious animus in this record? Your Honor, there is evidence that there were, that there were individual teachers who very strongly disagreed with FCA's policy requiring students to sign an affirmation and that disagreed with religiously based discrimination against LGBTQ students or adults. But there's, there's no, no evidence of, of religious animus from your standpoint if you take the record as it is. There's no evidence of religious animus by decision makers. The record is actually clear that the Climate Committee did not make this decision. That Ms. Bowman um, and Mr. Glasser, who were the teachers, were not involved in the decision. That the decision was made uh, 
final say, according to the principal, was by the district superintendent. That's at 5 ER 751-52. Um, Mr. McMahon's testimony about his role and Mr. Esperito's role, that's the deputy superintendent and the principal, is at um, 8 ER 1330, um, and, and the discussion around those pages, it was the there is not a single statement by the deputy superintendent who said we have a non-discrimination policy that does not allow student groups to discriminate and exclude students from groups. That's so you're saying, as you heard from opposing counsel, he said that the climate committee was in effect an adjudicatory body that advised the principal who made the decision. You're now saying that the superintendent of schools and I gather told is meaning to what he was supposed to do and he was the decision-making body, is that correct? Our position is the decision-making body was the deputy superintendent and who consulted with counsel. wasn't responsible. Who, who said that he, he said what the district's policy was. But at all, in all of the schools, it's the principal who actually decides on individual group applications. But, but there's no evidence that Mr. Espiritu, either the principal, had any animus towards FCA. Well, so he, that one of the one things we're having to wrestle with, as you know, uh, the record shows there's a fair amount of animus among the teachers uh, in the uh, school district, and it's a question of how, how we consider that. Um, in, in Masterpiece Cake, the Supreme Court had a body, an adjudicatory body. Here we have something a little more squishy, but there certainly was religious animus among the teachers, and I guess I'm struggling with how, how do we just push that to the side since there was no equivalent to the adjudicatory body of Masterpiece Cake here. That's needed to be wanting to be everything, uh, but I'm not sure the record shows that. Uh, but on the other hand, if we consider every comment from every teacher, it gets completely unwieldy. Well, how do you recommend that we uh, resolve this dilemma? Your Honor, the decision-making body here was the principal of the school, Mr. Espiritu, in conjunction with the deputy superintendent, Mr. McMahon. The climate committee, the only indication that the Fellowship of Christian Athletes points to that the climate committee had any role is a second-hand account. It's not a quote from the principal. It's a second-hand account by a student newspaper. There's substantial evidence in the record. There's really no dispute that it was Mr. McMahon and Mr. Espiritu in combination who made this decision, and there's no evidence of any animus. Couldn't this then be sent back for a further investigation, further discovery to determine the full extent of the animus? And that seems to be what's driving this at this point. If this were a pure, uh, you know, all-comers issue, probably wouldn't have a problem, but we've got a clouded record here. What do you recommend we do? Uh, Your Honor, we would not object if this court is, is concerned that the record is unclear as to the animus to returning it to the district court for fact-finding. We do believe that that is the proper body for fact-finding. Um, in, but in any event, what is at issue here is the policy in the fall of 2021, um, the all-comers policy and whether it can fairly be implemented. Um, so, Council, oh, go ahead. Uh, like in, in, in the employment context, I mean, it's fairly common that you have a case where the the first-line supervisor exhibits discriminatory animus, but then the ultimate adverse action is taken by some higher-level person, and maybe there's no evidence that that person was biased. And in that context, I think that the inquiry is, is usually one approximate causation. We ask whether the, the bias or animus approximately caused the ultimate uh, decision. Is that a useful way for us to think about um, the, the situation that we have here with the, you know, the teachers who set all this in motion? 
um, and then the decision made by somebody else ultimately. Uh, Your Honor, I, I understand the analogy, and if I think if there was evidence that the decision makers made the decision that they did because they were prompted by the, the lower level staff or teachers, then that would be appropriate. But the simple fact that that was what set it in motion, actually there were two different sets of student complaints. Two students went to the principal and two students went to the teacher, Mr. Glasser, who was one of the teachers who made statements that had been cited as evidence of animus. But there's zero evidence that that had any effect on the principal or on the deputy superintendent's it's application of the policy. Zero evidence, even though organization had been recognized for uh, a long period of time. The policy had been the same. There were all these complaints based on what appears to be in the record anti-religious animus, and shortly thereafter they were revoked. But your view is that's no evidence of cause and effect? That's no evidence that the district officials were motive, were, were affected by the people who exhibited animus. It is true that for years the district had had a complaint-driven policy. And as long as nobody complained, the district did not investigate and they did not review whether groups were complying with the policy. The substance of the policy had always been that the district expected that student clubs would admit all students. But the mechanism for enforcement was just that the district would hear complaints, much like enforcement in, in many contexts. That policy was changed starting once, once the district became aware that the fellowship of Christian athletes and other groups had been violating the policy. The district moved towards implementation of requiring that all students sign affirmations. And just like the district cannot be held responsible for what uh, for the animus by one teacher against the Fellowship of Christian Athletes or the animus that some teachers exhibited against the students who were complaining. Um, the district has 1,500 teachers. Just like that should not forever foreclose the district from enforcing a constitutional policy, a mistake by a single administrator who allowed senior women to be approved despite the language on its application should not force the district. How is uh, sex-based uh, athletic teams consistent with the all-comers policy? Your Honor, the... the, the all-comers policy applies to student clubs, to student-run clubs. It, the all-comers policy does not apply to the sports team. I mean, the, the district could not have an all-comers policy. It does ability sorting by students. That, isn't that a problem in itself that you're segregating certain certain types of activities, student activities for you know, a, a non-religious or non-sex-based or a non-religious um, criteria? Your Honor, the, the, the district-run programs, those are pedagogical programs that are run by teachers and staff for educational purposes. Those are not the appropriate comparator group to student clubs. It's a forum for student speech, a limited public forum for student speech. So the district needs to say some students can take AP Calculus. Those are students who have qualified. Other students can't. The district needs to be able to say some students get the extra services that are provided in special education courses. We have girls' and boys' sports teams so that girls can access sports. We have separate public restrooms. So, so what's the distinction between a boys' and girls' team and a boys' and girls' club? The Latino, and, and I would actually like to clarify one thing from the record, is the Latino male mentors group that Your Honor um, asked about, which was actually before the relevant time period, it was, it was in 2019, 2020, I believe, that was a district program. That was not a student club. The student clubs are run by students. They're run for the purposes. The, the purposes of that limited public forum are so that students can gain leadership opportunities, so that students have things that they can so put on violate canon, though. So you're saying you could discriminate in, in district-wide programs, discriminate in sports teams, but you can't but you can't discriminate in clubs, student clubs. Is that what your argument is? Uh, your Honor, in, in, the, in the Hay 
Hastings case, there was an overall non-discrimination policy that was based on protected groups, non-discrimination that applied to the whole school. And then there was an all-commerce policy that applied to student clubs. That's, That's the same as here. Tandon, and Tandon, in, in Tandon, the policy was a COVID policy. The question was, did did worship services that were in people's homes present the same risk of COVID transmission right. as the other things that were allowed? The all-commerce policy is based off of this non-discrimination principle. And so, but you're saying that only applies to student groups, but not to athletic groups or district-wide programs. Your Honor, that seems like exactly what Tandon was getting at, where if the interest is just safety from COVID, it doesn't matter what category you're in or what bucket you're in. In that case, Your Honor, given that the, the interest was safety from COVID, it, it made sense to look at things that way. Here, the purpose of the all-commerce policy cannot be divorced artificially from the context in which it operates, which is the student club program. So we're seeking to develop students' connection to the school and, seek, and not allowing exclusion on any basis. Like sports clubs, um, sports clubs, student clubs, and district programs. What's a rational basis to distinguish them from or exclude them from uh, uh, non-discrimination principles? Uh, Your Honor, I'm not saying that they should be excluded from non-discrimination principles. The school district does have a non-discrimination policy. Whether separate sports teams for girls and boys violate that policy would be a matter for a different case. Those are uh, generally the district does sort students in order to fulfill its educational mission. The rational basis to, dis to have those different buckets. The rational basis is because the district has a student club forum, which, as recognized in Martinez, the purpose of that is to make sure that all students have access to that forum, to those leadership opportunities, to become connected with the school. And so students cannot be excluded from that forum on any basis other than participation uh, or, um, you know, if they don't come to club meetings, they can be excluded. But they can't be excluded on any basis. They can be excluded from AP Calculus. I'm sorry. A girls' soccer club that was part of the club, would not be allowed, in, but a girls' soccer club that was pedagogical would be allowed. Is, is that what you're telling us? Your Honor, the, the school district runs educational programs, support services like counseling, and the sports teams. Those are school programs where the girls' so soccer team, it's okay, but if it's a girls' soccer club, it would violate the non-discrimination policy. Is that what you're telling me? Your Honor, Your Honor, any student club must admit students. Yes, yes. So a girls' soccer team, which is district-run, uh, which is part of the district's program to allow all kids to have access to sports, could could segregate by sex. All over the country, sports teams segregate by sex for public colleges and universities and for public schools. Um, if a student formed a club, it would have to be a soccer club. It could be called a girls' soccer club, just like in the I suppose, just like in the Hastings case, there was a black law students association and there was a Jewish law students association. But nonetheless, those those clubs were subject <laughs> to Hastings all kinds of policy. A different way. So if if we don't think the district was applying a hundred percent true all commerce um, policy, what what import does Martinez have? Um, on, on the issues in this case, and I guess Alpha Delta. Well, Your Honor, in Martinez, there was a question about whether Hastings was uniformly applying it or whether the policy was actually a pretext to disguise discrimination. And so in that case, the, as here, the appropriate mechanism would be for a remand to determine whether the district's um, approval of the Senior Women's Club was intentional, which could make it a constitutional problem, or whether that was inadvertent. Here, the district court found that the district was uniformly enforcing its all-commerce policy, that it was not allowing any student clubs to discriminate, 
um, that the district programs were appropriately considered separately. Um, and so as in Martinez, um, if the district is not applying its all-commerce policy, if this court has a question about that, about whether it's being applied uniformly, then the appropriate thing would be for a remand. Because the school should continue to state to several of my colleagues that there's a difference between a district-imposed program and a club. That's, I don't get that. What, what's the difference? The school district, it, all of the school district's programs are run by faculty and by staff of the school district. The students have no speech rights in those programs. Those are. But, but we've also been told that uh, when you have a club, each one has a faculty advisor who will be right there and call, you know, call the referee if there's any discrimination. You got faculty everywhere. I don't see the difference between a district mandated program and a student club program for purposes of the all-comers policy. If, Your Honor, the faculty who are there in the student clubs are not supposed to be running the student clubs. The students run the clubs themselves. If that were the case, then any school district that had a girls sports team or that had separate public restrooms is one of the examples that, that um, the plaintiffs have pointed out, would also have to allow a, a Bob Jones University student club that excluded black students if it was for religious reasons. That is not the appropriate comparator of the district's programs. There's a separate forum that has different purposes than the pedagogical programs. This, this court and the Supreme Court have given substantial deference to school officials to decide what is appropriate in the educational environment. This is a completely separate matter where it's talking about student clubs that are student-run and whether students can be excluded so from that. from your perspective, there is no valid comparator between a district-run program and a student club under any circumstances. Is that right? I don't know if I could rule out any circumstance, but I, I would say in this circumstance, certainly. Why isn't there a difference in terms of the comparator analysis between free exercise and free speech? Free speech, you've got to deal with the forum um, analysis. You don't in the free exercise context. So why is that not a material difference in figuring out the comparators? In the free exercise context, uh, Your Honor, that as governed by Tandon, what would be appropriate would be to look at what is the purpose of the district's policy. The policy that is at issue here that applies to student clubs is the all-commerce policy. That is the policy that applies to the, to, the, to the student clubs. And so under the free exercise clause, the question is whether that policy is generally applicable and whether it's neutral under the Employment Development Department versus Smith. I a little too tight, don't you? I mean, the policy is we want to be inclusive and let students have a full experience and be able to do anything that they want to choose to do. Uh, if we're not limited to the forum analysis, then the, as the questions have been asked about sports teams and other groups that specifically um, hone in uh, who can participate based on some criteria, you're not meeting that goal. You're not meeting the goal of be able to do anything that you might possibly want to do because there are rules about some organizations. Why doesn't that matter in the free exercise context? Because the policy that is at issue and that is being evaluated under the free exercise clause is the all-commerce policy. That policy doesn't even apply to the district's programs. The district doesn't admit all-commerce to classes or teams or counseling programs. We consider the government's objective in adopting the all-commerce policy and consider whether other things that it's doing undermine that objective. Your Honor, the, the objective here has to be evaluated in the context of the forum that we are looking at. And, and the Martinez case is the governing precedent when it comes to the school's context. The Supreme Court there looked at the clubs at Hastings and said that this serves reasonable purposes, that it's generally applicable under Smith, and that it passes the constitutional test. So, Counsel, even under that premise, uh, you, you have some clubs like the National Honor Society that require 
certification of good moral character, isn't that correct? Don't two teachers have to certify that uh, the student is has a good moral character of some sort? Not in 2021, Your Honor, and the record shows that. If, you, if, if one were to look at the Interact Club, at the National Honor Society, they no longer have, a requirement they no longer have that requirement. They are not allowed to have that requirement under the policy. The record shows that the way that that was implemented was very similar to the way that the moral character policy in Martinez was implemented. If you had cheated or if you had been suspended for drug dealing, you couldn't be in the club, but that's no longer permittable permissible under the district's policy, and that is shown if, if one looks at the applications from 2021. So that's just based off of the, the form that was filled out, not the National Honor Society criteria? The, each club has to have a constitution and an application that they submit, so whether the National Honor Society requires it or not, I, I don't know, but the club at San Jose District High Schools may not require it. One can look at 2ER107, um, at 2ER223, those are the Interact Club applications that show that they, they select their leaders by student. Especially with, um, your opposing counsel argued that there are parts of our cases that are not consistent with Supreme Court case law. You know, aspects of Alpha Delta Chi, for example, that he argued are not consistent with Supreme Court case law. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Your Honor, this court does not need to reach the question. Um, the Alpha Delta aspect of Alpha Delta that we rely on is the generally accepted principle in constitutional law that a mistake, uh, a mistake, uh, an, an accidental approval of a student group does not violate the Constitution, just like the accidental serving of a prisoner of a non-kosher meal would not violate the free exercise clause if it were truly an accident. Um, in Alpha Delta, there was a policy that applied a, a non-discrimination policy that specified certain protected categories to student clubs. Um, that aspect of Alpha Delta does not need to be reached here. Um, Martinez uh, does not reach that question. There's, there's no need for this court to decide whether that aspect of Alpha Delta is, is good law here. Before you end, I, I wanted to ask you about standing and whether or not you think uh, the plaintiffs have standing here. I, I know that you have uh, argued uh, or in your briefs that, that uh, that's supplementing the record should not be allowed. I believe that's your position. Um, but if you, I, I'm curious, is it your position that the evidence should be presented to the district court or it's not relevant at all? Uh, your Honor, it's not relevant at all in this appeal, but the evidence certainly can be presented to the district court. In the People v. Olson case, which this court recently decided, there had been developments after the denial of a preliminary injunction, in that case related to Proposition 22, and so the, the panel sent the preliminary injunction decision back down to the district court. So that would be an option for this panel, for, for, for this on-bank court, would be to send it back to the district court to determine whether circumstances have changed. Um, to the extent that this court is deciding whether the district court abused its discretion, what is relevant is the record that was before the district court, which did not show, as, as Judge Christian's dissent um, carefully explains, did not show that any student was actually um, going to apply. I think your friend was arguing that was a legal issue, not a factual issue. What's your position? Uh, your Honor, whether any student was planning to apply is certainly a factual issue. That was a, a factual issue to be to be determined on, a, on, the, on the record that was before the court at that time. Um, I would
Um, there's actually no evidence in the record of an ongoing injury by the national FCA, but even if there were, if there had been past injury, going forward, all that is relevant is whether the district's policy requiring students to sign the all-comers affirmation, whether that would cause an injury to any students, and if, if, if that was going to prevent students from applying, then that could cause an injury to the national organization. But if no students were going to apply, then there could be no injury caused by the policy at all. Well, let me show that with you. I mean, the students don't apply because the principal said that none of these, a group that has this criteria will not be approved. Since it's futile, they don't have to make the application. Your Honor, you're correct that we are not saying that the students had to apply. What we're saying is that there had to be evidence that students would have applied if it were not for the policy. That's what the Teamsters Supreme Court case that the futility doctrine is based on says, is that you can't, therefore, just anybody challenge the policy without any evidence that someone is going to be injured. Your position would be that the several declarations from Mr. Lopez are not sufficient. Correct, Your Honor. Both, both because Mr. Lopez cannot say what was in somebody else's head, what they intended to do, and also because Mr. Lopez did not identify a specific student who was going to apply as required by the, by the U.S. Supreme Court's case law, saying that there has to be a clear and impending uh, irreparable injury. And Isn't there a reasonable inference that any prospective applicant would still fear retribution given the climate at Pioneer High School? Uh, Your Honor, there's no evidence from any students in the record saying that. There's speculation by Mr. Lopez. But, but I said, isn't there a reasonable inference? No, Your Honor. Speculation and inference are not the same. I, I would not agree, Your Honor. The evidence of, of animus and of student protests against the club was from 2019 and 2020. There's no evidence that that is influencing any students in 2021, 2022, 2023, where most of the students at the school uh, we're not even at the school at that time. There's no, there's no indication of that. And if a student wanted to submit a declaration and was fearful of retribution, the courts certainly have many mechanisms to protect people who fear retaliation, to file under seal, file with initials. I guess what I heard was that people, when they complained, that the district did nothing later. For students that complained, I think your colleague on the other side said that when some individual students complained and they, the district did nothing, your Honor, the against certain teachers' retaliation. Plaintiff's counsel misstated the record as to that fact. There is evidence in the record that the principal did tell the teacher that that was inappropriate, that he counseled him. Um, but the, the complaint was filed in 2020, just before the COVID shutdown. I think we all remember what the world was like at that time. The evidence in the record is that the school district did intend to investigate that complaint and that there was confusion about who was investigating which complaint and that it was not investigated. Um, that issue had... the. Nobody filed a com nobody uh, appealed that failure to investigate, and it got lost in the shuffle. That was a, that, that was something that the school district should have investigated. And when the students, when the, the students fought them, no, 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 saying that they didn't follow up, that nothing was done. No, Your Honor, no, Your Honor. The school district should have done that investigation. Uh, some parents did file a complaint this year. They withdrew the complaint, and the school district still investigated. The school district is supposed to investigate student complaints. The school district didn't do a lot of things that it that it normally does, and that it's supposed to do when there was the COVID shutdown. Um, there was pretty strong disarray in, in the school districts. Uh, I'll let you make a concluding statement. Okay, Your Honor. In, in conclusion, I would just say that, uh, to the, that the school district has applied its policy uniformly when it comes to student clubs, save one exception, the senior women. The school district should not be required to repeat and to expand that mistake, but should be permitted to correct that mistake and to have an all-comers
commerce policy that has been deemed to be constitutionally appropriate by the U.S. Supreme Court. And so this court should affirm the district court, but if it does not do so, it should direct the district court to allow the district to continue to enforce its policy in a neutral way and to adopt appropriate remedies to ensure that the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and other religious clubs are treated equally to secular student clubs into the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Your Honor. Just a few things to clear up on the facts. One, Mr. McMahon, who my friend on the other side correctly said, was the liaison between the school and Principal Esparitu, testified, I never told Principal Esparitu to recognize or derecognize a club. That's at 1333. The district administrative team did not derecognize the club. That's at 1347 and 38. The determination stayed at the school level, 1386. The guidance to Principal Esparitu wasn't derecognize FCA, 1403. The district does not approve or disapprove of clubs. The district is not responsible for making ASB recognition determinations. That's at 1320 through 21. In fact, Mr. McMahon testified that he doesn't even know the details of what transpired at the school level. That's at 1330. Your Honor, the statement that this was all accidental with senior women, FCA had been on campus for years without any difficulty whatsoever. It was derecognized in 10 days because Mr. Glasher went to Principal Esparitu and started saying things that were inappropriate to say in this courtroom. Senior women was on the radar of the district for years. It was on the radar of the district for months when we brought it before the district court. Senior women was never derecognized. The issue isn't just forms. The issue is the district's behavior here. The district said they accidentally didn't investigate because of COVID. The district fought hard to prevent the California Department of Education from investigating because of COVID. In fact, there's an email trail between district officials celebrating that the Department of Education didn't investigate and that it was back in them. Then they suddenly forgot. Lots of accidents happening at the district. Your Honor, you heard no response to Judge Gilliam's determination that there was not, or Judge Gilliam's refusal to treat this as an all-comers policy. Not a single word on it. Can I ask you a question? Yes, Your Honor. Absolutely. At what point in your brief you seem to argue that the FCA does not actually ban gay students from leadership? That's correct, Your Honor. All right. So didn't the Supreme Court in Christian Legal Society v. Martinez reject that exact distinction between status and conduct that you allude to in your brief? The Martinez court was not persuaded by that particular point. That doesn't change. The court recognized, though, that the religious groups are allowed to have their religious views on this. And FCA's view is that a student who identifies as gay or lesbian would be welcome to be a leader of the club if they share the group's religious beliefs. Your Honor, the district did not cite a single case on standing where a religious student group was unable to challenge a policy that categorically barred it from access to campus. The Martinez case did not conduct forum analysis. It actually conducted very specific forum analysis for both the free speech and free association claims and had distinct analysis under free exercise in footnote 27. It's very different from what the district asked for here. I just want to be clear. So you acknowledge or admit that your argument is inconsistent with Martinez? Not at all, Your Honor. I thought you just acknowledged that. No, Your Honor. The point there was just that the district didn't buy or the Martinez court didn't care about the religious belief as it turned on that particular issue. But that doesn't change this court's analysis under the EAA or the free exercise clause. And what's your best case for standing at this point in time? 
Your Honor, I think any of the any of the cases on standing that we've cited in the briefing. I mean, at this late, at this stage in this proceeding, or I guess to ask for supplemental briefing. Uh, do you have any uh, case that supports your authority for that? Uh, any authority for your argument to allow for supplemental briefing at this point, or oh, to oh, supplement the record? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, Your Honor. Yes, the the, the cases we cite are, I think, are. Pretty, you know, pretty legion on that. This court, in the, the recent journalist decision, in the Geo Group decision that this court just heard on Bonk, allowed not just record supplementation. Uh, I think Judge Smith asked counsel for the government, make the representation that you're going to do the thing that's at issue. I'm making the representation to this court today that Pioneer FCA plans to apply. That's what they've told this court. That's what the record shows. Standing is straightforward. That's the reason why Judge Gilliam didn't even find it worth his time. So we don't have to limit it to the record and before the district not for the purposes of standing, Your Honor. For the purposes of the merits, yes. But if this court was concerned on the issues of just disability, it's very clear that this court can consider those issues. Now, it doesn't have to, Your Honor. The, the other thing is we have the record shows that at the time that they were seeking the injunctive relief, NM had filed a form saying that she intended to be a leader of her FCA club. That was August 2021. It's 1 FER276. She had actually conducted training with FCA so that she could be a leader of her club. It was just the next month that um, Mr. Lopez filed a declaration saying that leaders of FCA plan on applying for recognition if this court grants an injunction. She also applied for leadership just after that. That's a 1 FER 265. It's in the, it's very clear in the record, Your Honor. Thank you. I'm sorry I took you off, so you, you go back to your argument, and I'll give you a chance to make a conclusion. Thank you so much, Your Honor. Your Honor, I think the, the, the last point I want to make here is the district said that the teachers very strongly disagreed with FCA's religious beliefs, and that's what the issue is. It's not the problem. People are welcome in America to disagree on issues of religion and sex. We do it all the time. That's a good thing. It's a healthy part of our democracy. It's not right to use governmental power to exclude children from a, a, a equal access to a forum on school. Charlotte Clark will never get back her senior year. Neither will Elizabeth Sinclair. Neither will NM, who has spent the entirety of four years at the high school being told that she isn't good enough to have equal access because of her religious beliefs. These are students that are being barred right now. They're being told right now by their school district, by government officials, that there's something wrong with them, that they are discriminatory and they aren't welcome to have equal access to campus. That's a violation of the First Amendment. That's a violation of what Congress passed in the EAA. We respectfully request this court we grant would issue its decision by July 1st so that we have time to uh, prepare for next year or seek emergency relief that's necessary. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Bloomberg and, and Ms. Layton for your um, oral argument presentations here today. Uh, the case of Fellowship of Christian Athletes versus San Jose Unified School District Board of Education is now submitted. We are adjourned. Thank you. All rise.